Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. The opinions and views expressed by the host and guest are not necessarily the views and opinions of the Blake Radio Network. Broadcasting. Broadcasting. Broadcasting to the world. Broadcasting to the world. To the world. To the world. Spreading the news and information. BlakeRadio.com. Music for your mind. Radio at its best. You're listening to Rainbow Soul from BlakeRadio.com.
Greetings and welcome to Topically Yours on the Blake Radio Network, Rainbow Soul. I'm your host, Deirdre Schuler, and this is Topically, Topically Yours show where we like to talk with individuals who have made a contribution in life. My guest today, Camille Yarbrough, has done just that. An award-winning performer, singer, author, and cultural activist, she has traveled regionally and internationally. Miss Yarbrough has utilized her long-running television show, Ancestor House, to share her music, her performances, poetry, lectures, art, spirituality, and culture with a vast audience. In a world where black skin is often victimized, hated, and abused, Camille has made it her mission to inspire, uplift, and inform people of color. She tells them of their accomplishments and great history. She has done this via her lectures, presentations, music, and performances. And recently, her album, Iron Pot Cooker, has been reissued and is gaining some attention. The well-received song, Take Part of That Album. Camille Yarbrough's career spans over 60 years, a few generations, and several continents. She has gained countless awards and accolades, which has earned her legendary status. Her books, Corn Rolls, which tells the significance and importance of black hair design and braiding, The Shimmer Shine Queens, published by Random House, The Little Tree Growing in the Shade, and Tamika and the Wisdom Rings, received public acclaim. She went on to write a three-part series, Black Dance in America. Um, Female Style and Beauty in Ancient Africa and Black Women in Antiquity, which was edited by the late Ivan Van Sertema, an associate professor of Africana Studies in Rutgers University and is the author of They Came Before Columbus, The Golden Age of the Moor, and others. Camille continues to inspire audiences by her television show, Ancestors House, and by her popular music CD, also entitled Ancestor House, and through performances and lectures focusing on poetry, music, black art, spirituality, and culture. Well, Miss Yarborough is waiting in the wings, so let's welcome her to the show. How are you, Nana? <laughs> I'm doing fine. I'm doing fine after listening to you and to that song, um, it's, it's, it, which was so much a part of my heart. And I'm so happy that you played it, especially at that event, uh, Reparations in Washington, I believe it was. How are you? Thank you for inviting me to be on your show. Uh, it's an honor. Yes, of course. And it's my honor and pleasure to have you. Well, I want to ask you about the people think Nana is a part of your name, but it's really a title, isn't it? And, and tell me about how that came to be, the significance of the title. You mean Nana? Nana. Um, Nana. Yes. Okay. Um, I have uh, for years studied because Africa speaks to me. That's part of my ancestry that calls me. And for years I had studied the cultures and I think it was in around 1997 or 78 that I was living in Harlem across the street from the great educated Dr. John Henry Clark. And I was coming home one night and I saw a crowd of people in front of his building. And there were people I knew who were from City College where I was working 
and people, the community that came to a lecture series every Saturday called the First World Lecture Series. I went inside Dr. Clark's house and was witnessing a ritual uh, performed by the Ga people from Ghana. Um, he had lived with the Ga people in Ghana for a while, and they came here when he was um, at, at um, one of the colleges. And they asked him if he would be, because of his work, because of his brilliance, because of his care, his love for our people, they asked him would he be their local chief, their local king. And so what I was witnessing was his installment into that position. Uh, there, the people who had come from the Da family here in New York um, uh, held on to their rituals held on to their culture, and they brought him in as their local um, nana. And uh, so the title nana is a title of respect, of honor, of achievement, of commitment. And so because of what I had been doing, um, speaking and uplifting as much as I could, bringing interest and education to our story, um when I left that evening and went across to my apartment across the street, I received a call from a uh, professor, James Small, who had been installed as Dr. Uh, Clark's uh, spokesperson. There's a name for it, which is out of my mind right now. So, linguist. So, Dr. Professor Small called and said that the God people who were there had seen me up at City College working with the community and working with them when they were there and asked him to ask me if I would accept the position of Queen Mother in the court, so to speak, of Dr. John Henry Clark. Position mm. required um, a, a commitment and understanding and knowledge, but I had previously done the research into what is the queen mother, what is that position, what does that person do. Um, and it is deep, it's complicated. It's uh, when you, it, on the continent, when you're really involved in that, it's a community uh, service. And um, quite often it is not when you see the king, local king um, in court, when he has his, his court around him, all of the, the administrators. Uh, the, it's not his wife who sits next to him. It's the queen mother because she advises him. Now, for me to advise Dr. Clark would, would, be, would be something, <laughs> but he did um, respect my opinion and said so publicly and had me come and speak at, at a particular occasion. So it is my job, my heart, really, to use my work as a performing creative artist to um, help heal the wounds that have been inflicted upon our people during the time of well, enslavement. Yes, dear. Well, I like to visit people's past and, and find out about your beginnings. Mm-hmm. And I know you grew up in the south side of Chicago among eight other children. So tell me about what was what was it like growing up with your parents and among eight siblings? 
Um, first, um, you hear me singing the song about family uh, mm-hmm. because it was so important, my understanding of the power of the family and the need. And and uh, when I, years later, I did the, I was acting in the play To Be Young, Gifted in Black, uh, Lorraine Hansberry's work. And it, I noticed there, of course, she was wise that Raisin in the Sun was was set in a family situation, three generations. And that's what I learned from my uh, growing up with my family, Southside. Uh, it was very difficult. My father, we were not wealthy. We were in sometimes very difficult situations when my father could not find some work. Grandmother took over because grandmother... Ah. You know, she extended family. Yeah. And um, then I found out. And let me get back. And and, and before I jump to to that Uh, community is. uh, See, I keep going because it's in layers. My life is in layers and I have to unpeel certain things. Uh, My that same grandmother one day. Uh, who had been watching me she would I was afraid of her because she was always watching me I felt and also I like to be around older people because they're was listening to their conversations and uh, one day when grandma had her friend over and they were sitting in the front room talking well I found something to do in there I was playing and at one point grandma uh, said to me uh, told me, Camilla, uh, you know, you go someplace else and play. And um, I very reluctantly, slowly <laughs> gathered my yeah. what I was working with and uh, began to leave. But what I heard her say to her friend was she referred to me as an old head. And oh. I, uh-huh, does that ring a bell? Uh, well, my mother <laughs> always called me mommy. Called you what? My mother used to call me mommy. Okay, that's that's maybe that has some connection to it. She said uh, she referring to me again as you know watcher, watcher. She 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 does things. Mm. She she's gonna do something because she she gonna talk about something. At that time, I was very quiet. I I spoke very little. Really, I was in trauma <laughs> because of the drama in the family. But I was an observer, and so I never forgot her referring to me as an old head. Um, and it was because certain things are reborn in in us. If we had ancestors who were activists or who were committed people, I think that kind of uh, travels. Because later on, I learned that there were activists in our family, one in particular, great-grandma Rebecca. But I'm trying to get back to your question. (laughs) That was part of the growing up, was an awareness of my surroundings, awareness of music. My father, at a very early age, I heard uh, my father, some music my father was playing on the radio, the Wings Over Jordan Choir. And that was a kind of a Mm -hmm. famous choir in the 30s. My father was from Alabama, and he grew up 
with that yeah, spirituals. And so he would play the music on the radio every Sunday, I think it was. Well, I heard it, and I think I was maybe four. But I asked him what kind of music that was, and he said, that's our music. They call it Negro mm-hmm. Spirituals. And yes. that it moved me so that every Sunday I would listen to that music with him. And then in the neighborhood, I wrote a, I wrote a poem talking about how we fled, people of African ancestry fled from the terrors of the South, the racial terrors, the hatred, the lynching, the brutality. And my father was one of those people. And (laughs) when there were trouble, uh, he had wounds from that, that growth, that youth in the South. And at times he couldn't handle it. And it resulted in anger and violence. So we all um, uh, suffered because of that. And I was wondering why, because that was my father. And I loved him. I was still a child, but there were things about him um, as my father that you know I looked up to. And I asked my mother what was wrong. Why was he so angry? Why did he do certain things that he did? And she told me his background. That was the first Uh background story. That's where I learned you just don't accept things face on his face. There's a reason for everything. And very soon I learned that the anger that he had was all over the community. It wasn't just daddy. It was like in our community because we had suffered. And many of us didn't, you know, how you get over hundreds of years of passed down pain. And uh, when you don't recognize what's going on a lot of times. So it took a while for me to be able to, uh, and it was through the arts that I was released myself from a lot of the pressure. It was music. There was music all around. There was church. There were churches every place. There were storefront churches. I sat on my front steps. Um, there was a church on the corner to my right. It was a little storefront. Had a trumpet. Had some drums and some singers. And they was in the summertime. That would be in the air. Then on my left, there was a big church on the corner, and that was gospel and. Uh, 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 spiritual then across the street there was blues there was a bar and they played mostly blues some jazz but a lot of blues so that music was there and then there were people in the community go down the street singing that was nice and in the so you were to the arts at an early age at an early age. I didn't acknowledge it. I didn't realize it, but it was influencing me. It, it was it was saving me in so many ways because there was a lot of pressure in my family. And uh, I was number seven of eight. Um, wow. And, and it was my, the last four that I hung out with. <laughs> the older four, they were grown, my sisters. Um, so... Then there were the the street vendors who traveled the alleys in Chicago. There are alleys uh, between the buildings from one block to the other. 
and they would sing their songs. They would sing their their calls about. I got sweet corn. I got black eyed peas, watermelon. Then there was the ice man, uh-huh. and there was there was the junk man, <laughs> and there was the man who sharpened uh, scissors or knives. There was you know um, all kinds. It was just music. So was the South was Side that, a lot different then than it is now? I'm sorry. Did, what did you say? Was the South Side of Chicago a lot different then than it is now? Because you mentioned the Ice Man and you mentioned people yeah. singing in the in the alleys and mm-hmm. so forth. I, I, I'm well. Soon after we moved, when we moved from that neighborhood, it was kind of a step up. And as I say, bougie Negroes did not want those people, those carts or those wagons in the neighborhood. And so we still had alleys, but they were not allowed to come in the neighborhood and sell because it was they were rather snooty and they didn't realize the the unifying force that those uh, vendors had on bringing the communities together. And so yeah. that sort of, that peered. I don't know if they have them, but Chicago now is so different. Uh, the the neighborhood, I don't think my building is still there. The last time I went, it was gone. The whole block was gone. Wow. So, yeah, it's a whole different thing. And we are out south. The furthest we were, uh, black people were around 61st Street. Now we're past 100. Now we're past the other blocks. Um, different neighborhoods, uh, so it, it's very different. I don't think they still have that. I heard that they used to have it kind of in Brooklyn too, not in the alleys. And because it was it was our thing about singing and sharing and selling. Exactly. Anyhow, that was a good part. That was a good well, part. Who was of the your growth. greatest influence in the arts, um, in terms of music and civil rights activity? Was that Nina Simone, or there were many others? No, she wasn't here yet. Um, immediately, as I said, it was the the church. Um, I was not. I was a cat raised a Catholic, so we were not allowed to go in the other churches. We were told, "Don't go in those churches." But the churches were all around, and so that music was there. And then I said, my daddy would play uh, the choir on Sunday, but. There's a theater there, used to be, called the Regal Theater. It's it's equivalent to the Apollo in New York City. And all of our great artists came there. And as soon as I began, began to be aware of, be attracted to them, uh, I made it my, my work, my life to be there to watch them. And that was in the 40s. That just goes way back. And uh, who was coming out? It was uh, Nat King Cole. It was mm. Sarah Vaughn. It was Dinah Washington. It was, oh, it went on. Uh, the jazz, Dizzy Gillespie, uh, uh, Lena Horne. Uh, it went on. Uh, I can't think of all of them. And then... Um, but I was reading about our culture, and I was just beginning to to understand that there was a problem with being of African ancestry and the racism. And one of my uh, my oldest sister had, was in, engaged to a young man 
uh, they separated, but we knew him, and he had come up from Mississippi and gotten himself a job and saved his money and bought a car. Uh, However, he bought it. Yeah, but he bought a white Cadillac. And he decided he wanted to show his family how well he had done, and he went to Mississippi, and he was shot by a policeman. They thought he was he was light skinned, and his sister was even more light skinned than he. And they the word came back they thought he was with a white woman or something, and argument ensued, and he ended up dead. So um, there were and there were other things with the police. It was similar to the till today, not out front like it is right now. It's even worse because they're kind of bragging about what they're doing. However, uh, uh, so I was reading, I was reading Freud. (laughs) I was trying to find out what the hell was going on. And and I was reading about um, um, Paul Robeson. And because he was a star at that time. He was on radio. And when television came, he was on uh, a little while on television. But then uh, he was persecuted because of his stand on uh, racism and and the human spirit. He was a humanist, if you will. But he spoke about, he put focused on what was happening with us. And then one day, um, artist, this great artist came back to America. That was Josephine Baker, who was born in East St. Louis, born in St. Louis, ran away from the racism there, went to France, uh, studied here, went it was with all the black companies here, the dancing and singing and being a comedian. And he, she went to Europe with a company and stayed. But when she came back, I remember I said, she was, they quoted her in the paper, things she was saying. And I said, what, really? Because here, you know, when we went to the movies, we saw the great Hattie McDaniels playing roles of servant or, in, or Gone with the Wind or uh, playing an, you know, an enslaved person. And we couldn't seem to get away from roles. Not the full story of our people was being told in film. And they were quoting Josephine Baker talking about it. And I said, really, this is an artist talking about that. And I went to see her performance and I've never in my life seen a person command a stage the way she did. And the, the America was just enthralled whites, blacks, everybody was in the audience um, transfixed by what she was doing. And then she said, America, you're not treating black people properly, you know, and she went on talking about it. And I said, wow, she is adored and she's Mm -hmm. taking the chance, taking the chance of speaking out about the oppression. And that is what got me. I said, okay, it's possible. However, uh, so those were my, my influences. I mentioned some of them, but she was the major one. Then after that, I was still in high school. Harry Belafonte came on, and he was um, took it a, to a different – he made us aware that, yes, he was an American, but he was singing Caribbean music. And I said, oh, wow, we're down there too. <laughs> and here comes the diaspora. Yeah, here comes the diaspora. 
And that was uh, uh, something, a release. It opened my world. Uh, and that's how, you know, that was the impetus. It sort of said, get busy, girl. <laughs> and, and then uh, things happened. I was, uh, um, I, I did some, I, I wanted a bicycle. It was advertised that from one of the newspapers they were combining and they wanted to build up their readership. So they said, if any young people want to, if you will, if you uh, sell subscriptions to the Sun Times, uh, then we'll give you a bicycle. And I did. I sold 15 subscriptions, and I sold subscriptions for my little brother, and I got a bicycle. One day I was, you know, is that what you're asking me? <laughs> because this story goes on. Well, I want to move on to another subject, if you don't mind. No, go Because ahead, I want to talk about um, how did you enter the creative arts? Was it as a singer? Was it as a writer? Was it, how did mm-hmm. you, was it as an actress? When did you no. first uh Enter yeah. into the creative Well, that's where I was leading, so let me truncate it a bit. Um, I had the bicycle. I was, I, it gave me a freedom. And I was riding through Washington Park, and I heard some sounds. And it, it stopped me. I remember stopping. I was on the sidewalk, but I took my bicycle off the sidewalk, and I went re- racing through across the grass finding this place I found it it was a field house in the park in the park they were teaching dance Uh and that was it that was it that was the touchstone if you will Uh, well I had the honor of uh, interviewing Catherine Dunham and I know you were associated with her so you started off with dance yes that's I started you you really interviewed Catherine Dunham Miss D she she talked to me for hours. I got oh. her whole story, her childhood, everything. Fantastic. That's great. It really um, was. I um I started there at this field house and at that time and place they referred to our dance as primitive dance. And so um I, I was so determined and so eager and worked so hard that I asked the teachers, what should I do? And they referred me to another teacher who taught. Um, he, too, was from the Caribbean, but what he was teaching was basically some of, some of Dunham's technique and some Caribbean uh, movements also. Then I went to another teacher to study uh, what was called modern. It was really Martha Graham. And then there was Sybil no. Schurer, I think her name was, so I studied that for years uh, while I was in high school and continued. And then Dunham's film came out, that film, uh, Stormy Weather. And me and my little dance partners, we hit that theater and we'd sit there and watch them. We'd never seen, there'd never been anything like the Dunham Company before. Uh, the combination of, of culture and the dominance of the African themes and not just the themes but the movement and the rhythms and I'm saying oh my god it was heaven uh, watching it so I worked and worked and worked and one day uh, a, a teacher who used to be what is her name excuse me for forgetting 
she used to be with the Dunham, the original Dunham Company. She came and started a studio in Chicago, and she saw me and my partner dance and invited us to be a part of her concert. We were. Then she called me and said, Miss Dunham's husband, John Pratt, is coming to town looking for dancers. Would you be interested in auditioning? Of course. Of course I was. Of course you were. <laughs> yes. So... My partner and I went down and we auditioned for John Pratt. And then about two weeks later, I received a letter from uh, Marjorie Scott, Miss Miss Dunham's secretary, uh, saying, would I be interested in auditioning for Miss Dunham? And I went to California and auditioned and was accepted into the company. That was in 1955. So I Well, now, she wasn't just a dancer. She was also interested in, in, in historic... And cultural things, yeah. and particularly her yes. interest in Haiti. Did that yeah, influence an, you at all? Absolutely. Uh, she was an anthropologist. And as I said before, I'm sitting when I was young listening and watching the community, the people. This whole thing is about people to me. It's about humankind. It's about what, how, how we are how we think, how we feel, why we do what we do. And that's why I was writing later on. So that is I wanted to know why the Haitians danced the way they danced. Why, why um, there was a, 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 a dance, a, concert, a part of a show called Vera Cruzana, in which Dunham, that's where I saw, when I first saw them when, in California, there was a nightclub called Ciro's, which all the big stars, Hollywood stars were there, where she was working, they were working there that, that day, that week, I think, when I joined I was wondering, Vera Cruz, Anna, uh, we talked about Mexico, and I said, we were, black people were in Mexico? Yes, they were in Mexico. Oh, definitely. Yes. Deep. The old man. Yes. And, and before that, we were, well, uh, we we were everywhere, to tell you the truth. I mean, we were here at the beginning of the beginning. We but were then in there Europe were also, during the Dark Ages? We brought enlightenment uh, we, to Europe. We brought enlightenment to Europe. But there were uh, also, during the part of enslavement, there were ships um, in Cruz in a couple of other places. And so in the show, there was a, I, I did a thing called La Bamba. La Bamba was, came from that, that part. It came from the deep African part of Mexico. And so I ended Ooh. up doing, at one part, doing that. I remember trying to get that step because there was a particular rhythmic step that went with it. But um, I, was en- I enjoyed learning about the people, where we were, why we were in the Caribbean, the kind of dances we did here in the South, the Passamalade, uh, and, and in Haiti, in New Orleans. We were, you know, our, our, our gift to this country and to the world is, has no end. It's still giving we are. But in the dance world, the people, uh, uh, how they spoke, recently, not too recent, well, about three years ago, I was uh, some an article that I wrote was in uh, Renaissance Noir, uh, Quincy Troop. I don't know if you know of him. He's a writer and everything. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, I've been to his, yeah. you know, he gives those uh, uh, yes. lectures. Mm-hmm. That's right. He, they have a, a, a magazine called Renaissance Noir. I think they just stopped it. But he gave me eight pages in that. 
to talk about, you know, some of what I'm telling you now. But, uh, oh, God, how did I jump to him? Um, oh, okay. After my presentation, a young lady came up and she said, why do you speak in dialect? I mean, why do you speak? And I said, um, we, coming from, running out of the South, we we created something called Ebonics. You know, it used to be in the 60s and 40s and 50s when they had uh, in film and they had an Af- a actor from Italy or from France and they came in and they spoke with accents, right? It- Italian accent or a French accent. Well, we learning, having to learn English, pick up real quick. We still had an African a- accent because we were from that continent and we spoke African languages, not dialects, languages. And so when we spoke, it was there. And I said, listen, then in the South, there were changes that things slowed down. And so when you came from the South, they've erased most of it now, and except some of these senators you hear on television speaking with that Southern called Southern accent. You, it, it, your language tells a lot about your history, where you're from. Uh, uh, and so... I had to just bring this to her attention, part of it, uh, when I spoke um, during my reading. it I, That's the way people were speaking. That's how, uh, and creating language, because we do create words. We create language also. So it's natural. I, it, uh, for example, even uh, Toni Morrison, she talks, I personify when I write. I like to personify the person. And so I will be speaking as that person. Uh, Tamuni Morrison will talk about that scene, talk about what they're doing. But she does not necessarily, as Zora Neale Hurston did, go into the language. She doesn't speak that language that they spoke. And Zora Neale was criticized a great deal for doing that. Even Langston Hughes said, that's old-fashioned, you're taking us back. No, that's not true. You just be real. And there are reasons why people speak the way they speak, and we add a lot to the culture, um, to the language world. So, yeah, Josephine Baker inspired me because she got up there and did it, and I said, that's the way I want to do it. I don't want to be a maid. I don't want to, because I want to tell the story. Nothing wrong with being a maid. As I said, we would not be here had it not been for our grandmothers and grandfathers taking what were called menial jobs but they were jobs that kept us alive. And, and all the time they were doing what they were doing, they were telling us, go to school, be smart, be clean, be industrious, don't give up. They were saying those old people who were doing washing people's floors, were t- that's what they were telling us. And we have benefited from that today. Um, we were not be in corporate America today had those people not um, been st- strong and determined that we would do better, do better. That's the, that was word. You got to do better what five times better than anybody else because they, that pressure is put on us. Now, am I bearing too much because I have a tendency? It's a long story. <laughs> you have to stop me. Well, I'm going to move, uh, move you along because there's a lot to talk about, but yeah. also uh, Lorraine Hansberry mentioned some of what you're saying in her yes. young gifted and black. And were, mm-hmm. weren't you in that as well as God's trombone? Yes. Uh, I did to be ungifted and black down at the Cherry Lane Theater here in New York. I did the cast album. 
I did the national tour. And when the tour, when we were getting on the bus to do the national tour, we went to about 56 cities. Wow. Um, uh, Robert Nimeroff, who had been married to Lorraine Hansberry and who produced To Be Young, Gifted, and Black, the play, uh, came on the bus and he suggested, he said, why don't you keep journals of this tour? Um, um, what a nice idea. And it was, and I did. <laughs> I kept the journal. And when the tour was over, I, I, I put it in an article, which was printed in the New York Times, half page with illustrations. Mm. I was so excited, so pleased by that, because it was uh, to see, that's what I, you know, I, we traveled, we met people everywhere, our people. And when they came to the theater, they were hungry, just as I knew they were. I had written about that earlier. They were hungry to see themselves, not as, yeah. uh, uh, you know what I'm not shucking and jiving and not putting on all kinds of other attitudes that didn't belong to us. Being true you know, to as real we, people with intelligence and gifts yes, and art. Yes. You know, real, yes. not what mm-hmm. they make us to be, but what we are. Mm-hmm. And so... Uh, that's they would come and I wrote about it and I said how um, when the people they came from churches they talked about it some of them had babies with them they had with whole families busloads came I remember especially in Detroit busloads came and they I was standing with myself because I'm interested in, in more than just the acting part. I'm listening and watching the people, and and they were so excited. And then at one point when the the lights began to go down, they just kind of froze in their seats wherever they were. And uh, then there's a uh, the show opens with Lorraine Hansberry's voice, and then the curtain opens and uh, it starts out with a play. I think one scene in the kitchen from Raisin in the Sun, but. Um, Seeing, seeing the people, and afterwards—that's the name of the name of the article—is today. I feel like I am somebody because afterwards, when I was talking with the people in in the lobby, this woman, you know, she came over. We were actors; were all talking and gathering, and she came over and she took my hand and she said, "Today, I feel like I am somebody because what that's the play beautiful. said, what the play was saying." And our people are still hungry for images and sounds of our true selves, not just mechanical sounds that are produced by other people because they cannot really produce the soul sounds that we create. Um, but well, what um, do you think of the state of black theater now? I know COVID-19 has impacted theater, but yeah. what mm-hmm. do you feel the state of black theater is in general at this time? The, the the focus has gone to film, and we have uh, produced over the years Negro Ensemble Theater, uh, mm-hmm. New Federal Theater, and others. Um, there were opportunities for us to grow uh, and get energy, the energy kind of energy that you see expressed now, because a lot of our actors and 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 uh, athletes are really speaking the truth, and. It took years of all of those the, those uh, shafts 
I had a little bit in shaft, and, and I didn't like it. Um, but um, it is. It took a while. We have great artists right now. I am so pleased. Let me just jump to that. The skill is magnificent. It took them years of playing little parts in here. Then television came, and they got some work in television. I was one of the first to get into soap operas, and I got out. Yes, I it was. It was. I just didn't like it. And then backstage, there was just prejudice. So I don't need this. This is not what I want to do anyhow. Um, but but they you had your one the, woman show, right? It's called Tales and yeah. of an African American American Grill. Yeah, um, I was when I was into being gifted in black. I was writing. I had been writing for some time, and I and I let uh, Nimeroff, Robert Nimeroff, read it. He laughed. Of course, he laughed because I was not a good speller, so I had to do better there. But he liked what he read. What he read. Uh, and that resulted in my album uh, because it was there that I, uh, when I gave, I, I think I did a recording of it, I did, and I gave one to Robert Nimeroff to see what he thought, and he said he had a connection with Nina Simone. And I, whoo, wow, that was great. And then, and then I, I gave uh, a recording of it to the other producer, uh, Chish Schultz, who ended up doing the liner notes on my album. He knew people from the music industry. So um, I had done, I had been working in Macy's. I had been working up in the Poconos weekends, doing singing up there and just trying to stay active. Um, but I was also. Well, your writing. album was the Iron Pot Cooker. Is that what you're talking yes. about? Yes. Yes. Isn't that, that being came, reissued now? It certainly was. About two weeks ago, it's reissued on vinyl. You know, the big records, the 12-inch records? Oh. That's mm-hmm. becoming popular again. And so all over the country, and in Europe, too, uh, they're reissuing. And since one of the songs on that album uh, became an international hit, uh, well, it didn't... It, it hit somewhat in America, but everyone else, every place else, it was huge. Uh, they decided to uh, reissue. Now, that's a result. That's material for my one-woman show. Today, I feel like I am somebody. Uh, and uh, Nina Simone did some of my lyrics on her. She did one of one song, Little Sally, the Super Sex Star, um, but uh, she did some of my, other than that, she was working on something happened. I don't know. The business is very up and down. So she didn't get a chance to record it, but I did. And when um, uh, at Lincoln Center, it was a brother who had um, Soul at the Center, Hazlett. Ellis Hazlett had a program called Soul at the Center, which was on Channel 13. And all, so many of the artists were there, and he did, uh, Lincoln Center invited, had a black month or something like that, because we were pushing. We were still in the street while all of this was going on, you understand. Nothing happened voluntarily. We pressed for it. We protested for it. We went to court for it. Uh, we uh, Everything we could do, we did. You know, we used to bomb 
television shows. It would be a television show going on, and suddenly it became a black activist was in the audience, <laughs> red, black, and green. <laughs> it was quite a time. And that's when Shaft came out. That's when those films, because they said, let us give these Negroes something. And so so doors began to open. That's why we were on soap operas. It was one sister who was on soap operas before, but she was very light and uh, almost indistinguishable from the other uh, cast members. Um, that was her name. She was I know very who you're good talking actress. about. Got her name. Yeah. But I yeah. interviewed her one time. Uh-huh. Well, she was there. Uh, it, it might come to me in a minute. Um, but other than that, there were, you know, nothing. So they decided that they were going to audition and let us come on. And I auditioned and auditioned, and I think, three times. And then uh, I was accepted in in Search for Tomorrow. And uh, there was another one that I was in. But if there wasn't racism on the outside, there was on the inside, and I just didn't like Also, it was so Where movement. the Heart Is. Was that a soap opera? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Search for Tomorrow and Where the Heart Is. They were both two different soap operas. Um, but it was the movement that opened the door, you see. It was the movement that got us into that. It was our activism that said, why are we excluded from this? Uh, even down when I did a commercial, a prayer, prayer, um, I think hair something commercial. Shampoo? Uh, yes, yeah. That was the first to do that because we were not doing commercials. And then oh, the movement said, Look, we buy stuff. Yeah, we buy stuff too, you know. And we want to be, exactly. uh, get some credit from it for whatever. So I did that one and I did another one. Um, so those kinds of things came about because we stood up and said, you, we are in this country, we're Americans, and we will not be discriminated against. We have stories to tell, and we want to tell them ourselves. I'm so pleased. That's why about Black Lives the- Matter. Yes. You know, Black Lives yes. Matter is growing politically and socially and educationally. Yes. And what are your thoughts yes. about that? What are your thoughts on the Black Lives Matter movement? It's a continuum. Um, we yes. can't, you know, we it, it never stops. We have never stopped saying, "Stop! Don't do this to us." We are here. We're human beings. We de- deserve respect. We've contributed so much to this country and to the world. Don't you dare do what you're doing now. Let me say it. What's happening now is a resurgence. Because during the time of this, uh, these 80s, um, um, they stopped. You know, we had gone to court, NACP had sued and the Ku Klux and won an award, won, won a case. Um, but we had people standing up then in the streets when our brother Amadou Diallo was shot. I was working with Sharpton at that time because I'd gotten out of show business when I'd gotten sick for a while. But I said, I don't want to be, I saw things coming. And I said, I don't want to go, I don't want to do that next step. For example, I did Shaft. Then after that came Nigger, Nigger Charlie or something like that. And then other things. And I said, no, they're going backwards. They're not really telling the story the way it is. They're Hollywooding it. And so I said, I don't want to be part of that. Um, 
but we never black lives matter is is just a continuum continuation of the movement um when when i was singing that song it was for reparations that was in washington um i think it was the december 12th movement was sponsoring that uh, I was I worked with in, um, I was working on WLIB with Gary Gary Bird, um, and he was on WLIB WBLS one of them, and I was his guest uh, host frequently, and uh, oh all of the activists would come there because they couldn't go on the white stations let's say on the ABC NBC ABC all of that. And so they came to the black station, Percy Sutton stations, mm-hmm. and uh, the lawyers were there. Uh, Sharpton, that's when he started. That's when Alton Maddox started lawyer. Um, David, you know, David Dinkins became lawyer, became the mayor during that period. But uh, black lives have, listen, Europeans went to Africa because they knew black lives mattered matter to build up this country and not just this country to build up the Caribbean and the Asian, the Arabs had done it before when they went into to, to Africa centuries before and took millions of Africans into their territories. Our lives have all, and our genius has always mattered. Um, exactly. uh, so, so that's, you no know, black lives matters is, is value. We use it. We are a part of it. We, I'm looking now at the the, uh, the election, and there's a Haitian sister who is now guiding. Um, uh, what is his name? The brother, the man who's going for president. His, his name is Biden. Um, yeah, Biden. <laughs> she, this sister is running his 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 campaign, and she's doing a great job. Um, and 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 um, Joy Joy Reed on MSNBC is she's bring she's bringing our people there. You understand? These are people who are not afraid. They have achieved. They're knowledgeable, and they bring us forward, which is um, better than it was before. Because there was a well, time if Biden we were... wins, we'll have a black woman as VP. That's right. Praise the Lord. <laughs> yes, the first ever Delicious. in America. Ever, ever. But it's good. Let me just say oh, say this. When I was, uh, I have a book here which I can't find. I have to find it again. It was about 100 years in show business. A black brother wrote it. Came, coming out of minstrel theater into bad vaudeville and variety theater and then into drama straight thing um at one point he said there was an expression in show business when in trouble go to black now it meant that in there was a time when they didn't have a lot of electric lighting and if something went fall went wrong they would just close the curtain go to black and then fix it but when we look at ourselves in this world, Europeans have come to Africa when they needed knowledge, when they needed a certain kind of information, empowering information. And they came to Kenneth, they came to Africa, and they're still there right now taking 
Um, and then they took us, when in trouble, go to black. They wanted to build up the world for business. So they sent their business people over here, and the business people wanted to make profits. And so when in trouble, they went to black and brought us over here. And it's been a blessing for the world, really, but a horror for us. However, Africa. you know, we... Well, they raped Africa. They took all the natural yep. resources and the diamonds and everything. Their They're whole idea is profit, profit, profit. Yes. But I want to ask you, right uh, because we're mm-hmm. getting... It's almost an hour now, and I'm close to, and there's so much more I want to ask you so quickly. Um, what would you advise the youth of, of today, how to move forward, what to do? It's, um, well, we have a responsibility. When you're young, it is frequently difficult to get past all of the energies that are opening up in you. Uh, The rebellion spirit is there. The spirit which says, Mm -hmm. I know this, I know that. Uh, Resistance is there. However, it is up, it has always been. I survived because of what my parents taught me, the behavioral. They taught me to be honest. They taught me to... Uh, 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 be respectful of myself, others. They taught me, yes, as I said, honest, be be truthful. Uh, But that respect thing for myself and others was what has saved my life. But also, they did not have the money to send me to college. I later on went to college for a while. Um, But I learned... I was reading before when, before I was in high school. I was reading Du Bois, and I was reading, uh, as I said before, Freud, and I was reading um, other writers because I wanted to know. I had an interest in it. Some people don't have that interest, but we must um, fill our minds, our children, with our story. Our story is very powerful as a people. It is. It is. It will overcome anything because it contains any kind of movement, any kind of drive, any kind of emotion, hope, fear. It has that story. Is that's why uh, um, I wanted to mention Woody King in his uh, new Federal Theater. A lot of our great writer, great actresses and actors came through that theater because it tells our Definitely. story with respect. And that's one reason why I was in, in love with what I saw Josephine Baker doing. It's about respect. When you go on the stage, you don't humiliate your people. You don't belittle your people. That's what minstrel exactly. theater was created to do. So we have to, it's about, don't say the word education. They say, I say education. Get us young people used to hearing that word used to not doing, and there was something Lorraine Hansberry wrote in To Be Young in, in The Raisin in the Sun. There was a scene with a teacher and three students, and she uh, uh, really uh, um, takes them to task because she said, you are doing half when you should do whole. You understand? Mm-hmm. Is that You have yes. to do it to the max. Whatever you're doing, Absolutely. do it to the best. But which means you you have to understand. Yeah, yes. You have to understand what it is you're doing, and you have to understand where you are, what the system is, 
and how you best function your way to to achieve the dignity and respect and 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 if you want to have a home then there's a way of doing it all um but it's education um and i often say oh, that definitely. ignorance ignorance is a weapon of mass destruction if you keep people I ignorant, they will, they will just the destroy them. Now, the COVID has shut down a lot of, of, of uh, America. Yeah, But the world. what are you currently doing um, despite the COVID? Are... Uh, I, have, I'm, I was ill for a while. The stress got to me. Uh, not recently, it's stress over the years. And so um, I am really in couple of ways recovering from that but because I am an artist that energy is still there when I see things I don't see them on one layer I see them again the backstory I see the possibilities I see the circumstances um, so right now I've been writing I've written I'm doing an autobiography but um the um, I I can't stop, <laughs> you know. If when you're an artist, somehow function in that. But so you and, just and keep the, flowing. Yes. Yep. As long as it's it's there, moving, then you have to. If you don't, you go crazy. And the world Absolutely. is crazy enough. They don't they don't need another one from Chicago South Side. So uh, I'm writing. Um, I've, I've been speaking with Woody King from the New Federal Theater, and uh, we've been back and forth. As I said, because I was, we were starting, then I got sick, and then um, I really recently did a, a video here in my apartment. It was kind of raggedy, but I think it told the story of of what I feel and why I do what I do. And uh, he saw it and uh, gave me a thumbs up a couple of times which means that I'll probably get back with him and bring him what I'm writing on right now. Um, yes, I understand he's being honored. He and, he and Robert Hooks are being honored on October 18th. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That, they deserve it, both of them. Yes, they both do. Both of them. They do. But yeah. we're at the end of our show, and the curtain is about to fall. Okay. So is there anything <laughs> that I haven't asked you that you'd like to mention? Oh, also... It's almost impossible to, to talk about everything you've done, but we're going to follow through on Eclectic Inc., which is going to be um, the film. Oh. So I will okay. we'll be calling you back to do that, and, and then we'll continue this discussion because I can't do it in uh, one hour. Yes. It's just impossible. Yes. You've done so much. But we'll continue on film. Okay. That would be great. Mm-hmm. Yes, I'm looking in- forward to it. I thank so you. So, is there anything for... I haven't asked that you'd like to say before we close? Oh, there's, you know, there's just so much. Um, oh, go to uh, what Stevie just put out a new record it's called. Uh, the song was written by Black Man by uh, Imhotep Gary Bird, and it's on one of his albums. It's called Black Man, and I looked on. Now it's on. It just came out. It's a video by Stevie Wonder and it is um named Black Man and it's it's so good. I'm just pleased to see that our spirit is still there. There's so many of us who have passed. Um uh, I've been here a little while and I'm so grateful to have been born with as an old head as my grandmother used to tell me, called me. 
uh, I'm pleased to be of this African family, and I want to continue no, as much as I can to to support and get involved. And I thank you for what you are doing. It's very rare. Well, let me say, I don't know much of your background. I know you write, um, but there's a show business show business ishness that sort of gets to people after a while. You seem to be a very straightforward, um, real, unshow business-ish, <laughs> excuse me. <laughs> well, uh, I talk about entertainment. That's my beat. But I, I call it topically yours because I like to talk about various topics, you know, yes. all kinds of topics, yes. not just celebrities, people of note, and just mm-hmm. people who've lived life in, the, in an interesting life. Yes, that's the important thing. So I thank you. Yeah, I, I'm just saying thank you to people. Uh, and about love, uh, love is so powerful. And I don't mean just oh, huggy, kissy kind of love. It's the kind of love that Harriet had and all of from us the have had. Yeah. Yep. You have to feel from the heart. I live from the heart. It's that, it's very yes. important to to do that. And, you know, it's, even the heart thinks. Mm-hmm. So, it does. So I'm it does. I'm an intellectual. I know the heart has a mind of its own as well. That's very African, you know. <laughs> I know. Ancient, ancient African. It's the heart and the mind. Yes, that, that the heart and the it. mind. Uh-huh. And on uh-huh. that note, I, I want to thank you so much for being on the show, and we'll be looking forward to having you on film. Uh, Great. We'll set that up and get back to you, and, and uh, we'll continue this discussion there. Fantastic. Um, so thank, thank you, you so much, Deidre. Oh, it's my pleasure. You cannot believe how much of a pleasure it is. And I, I thank you. It. And I thank my audience for making my topic topically yours. And this is the Blake Radio Network, Rainbow Soul. I'm your host, Deirdre Schuler, and you've been listening to Topically Yours. But now we're going to end the show because you were born to be a witness. So we are going to play Can You Get a Witness? So hold on to that. Thank you. Here we go. You're welcome. What we going to do, girls? What we going to do?
Our guest today was Nana, Nana, Camille Yarborough. We're so happy to have her. And you've been listening to the Blake Radio Network, Rainbow Soul. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.